Well, by way of introduction, I'll just start with a little bit of a review. And if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 131. But I'm going to start in a different verse, kind of to refresh and introduce the message. So I'm going to read from a different passage here while you're turning there. I think I've mentioned this before, but what I like to do when I read is I read a little bit and I'll stop and think, well, what's he going to say next? And then not look at the next verse or what would I think he's going to say next, whether it's Christ or the, the writer or God through them. And that's helpful to me because it shocks me usually. I usually can't predict what they're going to say or they say something different. It helps me to think through, well, why did they say that? And what's the connection and things like that. So I'm going to kind of do that with these verses from a different passage, but to illustrate the point that we talked about last week. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. So last week we talked about humility and the different types. And so that's man-to-man humility. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So that's man-to-man humility. When we interact, we should have Humility, man to man. Now, he says, for. So why? Why should we clothe ourselves with humility towards one another? What would you expect him to say? For. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it's going to go well with you. Um, There's a lot of things that I would think. But here's what he says, and it's surprising to me. For. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So, last week, the main point of the message was that humility, man-to-man humility, is secondary to -to man-to-God humility. And man-to-man humility flows from our man-to-God humility. And that's what this verse In 1 Peter 5, two verses really illustrates, he says, have humility, man to man. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he says, you should have man to man humility because you're remembering that God is there and he's watching. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So it's a real clear connection there in 1 Peter 5. Where does man to man humility come from comes from man to God humility and if you want man to man humility you need to remember God and therefore humble yourselves before God and there's a lot of passages like that we talked about some last week but I thought that was a particularly clear passage of the relationship and the priority that one flows from the other and that the one that is primary is Godward humility which flows into man-to-man humility. And so that's basically a very brief review of last week, which we talked about from 1 Corinthians. And we don't want to become puffed up. Uh, we We don't want to be proud. We want to be humble before God. And so this week, kind of continuing on, we'll read Psalm 131 here. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. 
My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too difficult for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, let's talk about man-to-God humility. Man-to-God humility. And some of this is reviewed from last week, but we'll kind of just go through this psalm verse by verse or phrase by phrase. So the first phrase, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, or my heart's not proud. Well, what do we see here? We see first it's before God. He's coming before God. He's talking about humility before God. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Or some translations say my heart is not proud. And we see something important here. Godward humility has to do with our heart. It's in the heart that we need humility. And I'll remind you of this example from the Old Testament that I think is really helpful. Remember Absalom, David's son, he was a real good example of outward humility and inward pride. He says at one point, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. And so he sounds very humble. Your servant wants to do this, and would you let your servants go with your servant? And his plan there is actually to kill his brother, and that's what he does. And so it sounds very outwardly humble, but in his heart it wasn't humble. And I'm going to read from Second Samuel, if you want to turn there and look at another example from Absalom, Second Samuel 14. He has outward humility, but it's not in his heart. Second Samuel 14, I'm going to start in verse 33. Then Joab went to the king and told him. He summoned Absalom. So he came to the king, Absalom, came to David, his father, and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. So this is Absalom returning after he'd killed his brother. David had kicked him out, and now he's inviting him back. Um, And so he has a very outwardly humble response. He's bowing down on the ground. After this, 15.1, after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute, Come before the king for judgment. Absalom would call him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand, Take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. 
So here's this very outwardly humble man. Somebody's coming and he appears to be helping them, really compassionate towards them. And if they come to thank him or to pay homage to him, he he won't let them. He'll, He'll grab them and he'll kiss them, I think is what he said. Take hold of him and kiss him. And so there you've got this very outwardly humble appearing man, and yet all the outward humility is false. That this is all to undermine David. And so if we want real humility, it's got to be Godward humility. And if we want Godward humility, it's got to be in the heart. God knows the heart. Remember Samuel uh, when he's talking in 1 Samuel, when he's talking about David, God sees not as man sees. God looks on the heart. And so here comes David in prayer, Psalm 131, and he's saying, O oh Lord, my heart is not proud. And if we're going to come before God with Godward humility, we know it has to be in the heart. We do not want to be like Absalom. We don't want to be outwardly humble and proud in our heart. God sees our heart. We aren't going to be able to fool God. Absalom was able to fool these people. He was even able to fool his father. We can't fool God. And so, it comes back once again to Godward humility comes first, manward humility comes second. If we get the order reversed, things are messy. Things aren't necessarily going to go the way that they should go. And this is a great example of Absalom. You put manward humility first and you don't have reality before God, what does it matter? It's actually worse. It's worse to be outwardly humble and inwardly proud because not only do you have the pride, you've added hypocrisy on top of it. You've multiplied your sins. And so we don't want to be like that. It would be better for us to see our hearts proud and to say, I have pride in my heart. Would you pray for me? And to confess it to one another, confess it to God. And it's, we also see how amazing it is for David to come before God and say, Lord, my heart is not proud. It's pretty a pretty shocking thing for him to say, but we want to be able to say that to God. We want to be able to come before God and put our heart before him and, and ask, Lord, I don't know, but would you search my heart? As far as I know, my heart's not proud. That would be a wonderful thing and something we can pray for, Godward humility. Let's look at this second phrase in, in Psalm 131, the first verse, second phrase. My eyes are not raised too high. My eyes are not raised too high. Well, a lot of the commentators here are, t- are saying this verse is talking about man-to-man humility, that haughty eyes, someone who looks down on others is what this is talking about. Matthew Henry says this, that once we have our Godward humility, that's what the first part of verse 1, it affects manward humility. And this is what Matthew Henry says, either, we don't want our eyes, either to look with envy upon those that are above us, or to look with disdain upon those that are below us. We don't want either. We don't want to look with envy up, and we don't want to look with disdain down. And we might go a little further than that, you and I, 
after what we talked about last week, last week's message, and say, we shouldn't be putting people in categories at all. We shouldn't be saying, this person's above and this person's below. We have to have enough humility to say, I can't judge rightly. I can't look and decide, here's Apollos, here's Paul, and Apollos is greater, or Paul's greater. We can't do that. We don't know that. We can't look on the heart. Like last week, we talked about God's measure is faithfulness. And we can't look at a person and see, wow, this person's more faithful than that person. There's all these confounding factors that you and I can't look into the heart and we can't see. Someone could have chronic pain and be faithful in it, and that's a huge deal. And outwardly, we can't see that. We can't measure that. We can't compare ourselves and and rightly judge. And so we shouldn't be comparing ourselves at all, which means we shouldn't be looking up with envy, trying to be greater, or looking down with disdain because we can't judge that. We don't know. That's one thing. And then the second thing is we can't, we shouldn't judge that because it's not our job. Even if you could sort out all the factors and see, wow, look, this person's more pleasing to God than this person, or this person's been more faithful than this person, that's not your job. You need to have humility in your role because that's, we leave it to God. And that's what we talked about last week, so I'm not going to go through that very much. But we, don't, we want to have humility where we don't compare ourselves with others. You know, some of the Puritans would say things like, humility is when you compare yourself with everyone in the room, you think, I'm the worst. Well, that's a dangerous thing to get into because you probably just shouldn't be comparing yourself to everyone in the room at all. It's not your job. It's not your role. That's talk about it in terms of a uh, illustration. So let's imagine that I turned in to my boss at the end of the year. Uh, here you go, uh, Dr. Dallas. Here's, here's my report to you about all the other employees and how I feel they're doing well or how I feel they're falling short and how their performance was this year. What would the reaction be? It would be shock because that's not my job. And it would be uh, very presumptuous of me to think that, that, one, I could do that, and two, that I should do that. But whose boss are we? Are we everyone else's? Who's, say, let me say it this way. Whose boss is everyone else in this room? It's God. Do we do that to God? God, I see so-and-so. And I know they're falling short in this, and they're such and such or that. That's wrong. We could pray for them. It's not. It's possible that we can see others' faults, but we pray for them and we love them, and we don't act like the person who thinks they're the boss of everyone else when they're not. Whose job it is to evaluate everyone's performance? It's not true. If we get into that, we are going to be like this person where we're looking down. Our eyes are haughty. We're looking down on others. We don't want to be like that. And again, if we want the man-to-man humility, it comes back to remembering God's there. God's the one that sees. God's the one that it's his job, and it's not my job. We don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Let's look at the third part of verse 1. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me or too difficult for me, depending on if you have the ESV or the NASB. And so for this part, I'm going to use a whiteboard here. Um, we're looking at the third part of, of verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too difficult for me. So I'm going to draw a little chart. Hopefully this helps. But this is, let's say this is you. And this line out here is your limitations. That you have limited time, limited money, limited knowledge, Limited influence, limited existence, limited foresight. There's all these things that we are, as creatures, who are limited. And here's our limitations. And if this is our limitations, then everything outside of this is God's. Okay. If I don't know something, it's not in my uh, little box. God does. Right? And if there's something that's not my job to do, well, God's in charge of it. It's not my responsibility, it's God's. If there's something that I don't have the resources for, it's not the money God's entrusted to me, well, then God's entrusted it somewhere else. And so everything outside my box is God's responsibility. God knows. God's able. God's. If I don't have the power to do it, God does. And... One thing that I think happens, at least for me, is I start to believe that my influence, understanding, all these things are a little bit farther out than I actually, my abilities are a little bit farther out than they actually are. And so when I try and uh, fix the sink in however long I think it's going to take, and it doesn't go well, I begin to get frustrated and get upset because I thought I was able to do this. I feel like I should be able to do it. I feel like um, all those things, this is, should be within my power. This should be within my authority. And yet, it slips my grasp and I start to get upset. And what happened was, I started to believe I was more capable than I was, than I actually am. And I get frustrated. And sometimes that's not just with physical things. It could be time. I think I should have more time. I shouldn't be this busy. I get frustrated when somebody in front of me in traffic is going too slow. But the reality is, is that's out of my control. God is really in control of my time, not me. And so this is a, an example, just an outward example um, of the way we really are. We really have limitations. And this is just to illustrate the second part, the sorry, the third part of that verse. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too difficult for me. There are things that are too great and too difficult for each one of us. 
that it's not our responsibility. We're not able to handle it. It's not our gifting. It's not our responsibility. It's not what God's given us to do. And so we give, we give it to God. The other thing that while we're doing this chart, I'll just remind you from last week is, if this is you, then the, your neighbor might look like this. You can see that your neighbor has different responsibilities, different giftings, different amount of time, different amount of money, and that's okay. And that's what God has given them, and that's what God has allowed them to have, and that's all right. We don't need to compare ourselves to one another because, like I said, everything out of this is God's responsibility. And so... You can see how this relates to not looking down the the phrase before my eyes are not raised too high, my heart's not proud because other people are outside of your sphere of control. Right? You can guide your children, you can do your very best to discipline them, but ultimately your children, like John Mark said a couple weeks ago, make their own decisions and you can't twist their arm and force them to do exactly what you want them to do. And the same with your spouse uh, and people at your job. And so when something happens, when someone acts a way you don't want them to act, instead of getting frustrated, we can give it to God. God, I can't change this other person's actions. I'm just going to give this to you. You know you're able, and I'm going to entrust this situation to you. And so we want to just see ourselves as limited and to remind ourselves when we get to the edge of our limitations, our abilities, our giftings, our time, our money, just to be okay with that and say, there are things that are too difficult for me. There are things that it's not my job. And the reality is, that's most things, right? That this, if this was the whole world, we could just extend this board and everyone on the world, you know, would be, would be drawn. And that's the vast majority of things. There's a very few things that God has given us to do and most things aren't our responsibility. We don't know most things. What he has entrusted us is a very little thing. And so we want to learn to be like this psalmist. I want to be before God humble enough to say, I don't know. I don't know what, to use something from the news, Trump should do for the coronavirus. You know, I can't assume, oh, he should have done this and this and this. I don't know. That's not my responsibility. In fact, I just give it to God. And a thousand other things. We want to just say, one thing I think we can all say more that would be good is, I don't know. Because the reality is, we don't. When people come for us to, to us for counsel, I don't know. I'm going to pray for you. I love you. And I can see that this is a difficult situation. I don't know what you should do, but I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. So let's look at the next verse here, verse 2. 
But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So these first three, if you notice, the first three we talked about from verse one were all knots. We, we, we do not want to have a heart that's proud. We do not want to look down on others. We don't want to have haughty eyes or look with envy on others. And we do not want to start occupying ourselves with things that aren't our responsibility, our job, our knowledge, what God's entrusted us to. We don't want to do that. Those are things we don't want to do. How does that happen? It happens, like we said already, with Godward humility. And so verse 2 is the reverse. And it's flipping everything and saying it in terms of our relationship with God. The wean child with its mother is David with God. In this verse, he compares God to a mother. And we know that from verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so we want an intentional action. That's he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. We want to intentionally come into the presence of God and remember he's God and we're not. And compared to God, I, a wean child is, is actually quite a flattering comparison because it's so much less than that. We're so much smaller than a wean child is to its mother compared to God. We're like the whole, all the nations, remember, like dust on the scales. We want to remember God is God and we're not. And we have to kind of deal with this phrase, a wean child. Why does he say this, a wean child? And I think most of us who have kids know something about, I think, why he said this. And it's that, the comfort that comes, the calm and the quiet that comes for a child that's not weaned is with its mother is not because of who the mother is. That, you know, when, when your child is a baby and they're crying or they're fussy, you nurse and you give them milk and it calms the baby down. But when the child is weaned, it's not like that anymore. The child gets comfort from the mother just because of who she is. He's not getting anything. He's not rustling around trying to get anything from the mom. He's just resting with the person, knowing this person loves me, this person cares for me, this person wants what's best for me. Whereas the non-weaned child is still trying to get comfort from what they can get from the mom. I think there's a, a mixture, but... I think David wanted to make it clear he's getting comfort from God not because of what God can give him. Not because he's wrestling around trying to get something from God. He just is with God. So how do we do that? How do we intentionally calm and quiet our soul? We come before God and we remember God is God. We, we don't need to ask God to change our circumstances. We don't need to ask God to change this person. We don't need to ask God to change these outward things out here. We can just say, God, you're here. You're with me. You're in control. That's all yours. And I find comfort in you. Whether you give me something or you don't. Whether you change the circumstance or you don't. 
you're good. You're, you're there. You care for me. So we go to God. When we get to a place where we're not calm, we're not quiet, our soul's in unrest, we need to go to the presence of God. Run to Him. And remember what? Remember who we are in light of who He is. We're just a child. We're just a little child. Unable to care for themselves apart from the care of the mother, in, the case, in this case, in the care of God. We're tiny. We're limited. We've got this tiny window of influence and time and ability, and that's all dependent on God, even that. And verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So there's a lot of things we could say about the wean child. How are we like a child before God? We could spend a whole message on that. But specifically, it seems like he's talking about hope. And that's what this next verse is. Israel, hope in the Lord. So that wean child with its mother that's calm and quiet is hoping in the mother. And we ought to hope in God. And one thing that children are really amazing, it's amazing to see kids and how much of a lesson they are to us, is that the children, children really aren't proud at first. Children, just this kind of silly example, but Sean said, let's pray. And my daughter burped super loud where everyone could hear it. (laughs) And bowed her head and put her little hands like this. It didn't bother her. If I would have told her you're not supposed to do that, she would just said, maybe, sorry. But she's not self-conscious. She's not worried about her faults and her failings. She's not coming home yet and saying, you know, I saw so-and-so and their clothes were nicer than mine. They're just happy. They're just happy to see people. And they're, they're not self-conscious. They're not so inwardly focused as I, as I am. They f- trip and they fall. They can't do something and they're just okay with it. They're okay with it. Sometimes. <laughs> but in a way that I'm not. And, and they have an outward hope that we want our hope to be outward in the Lord. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in what the Lord did. Hope in what the Lord does. Hope. My hope for worth is in the Lord. It's not in me. It's not inside me. My worth doesn't come from inside of me. What I do, who I am, things I accomplish, my hope is in God. What He did, what He's going to do. My worth comes from outside of me, in Him, because He loved me and died for me. My rest is not going to come. My hope for rest is not going to come looking inward how, and how can I change all these circumstances or how can I accomplish enough to feel rest in my soul that's never going to give me rest. My hope for rest is in God, is just going to Him and being with Him and knowing, God, you're in control of these circumstances. You're in control of my worth. You give me worth. You give rest, God. And I'm going to trust you with this situation, with this person, with this circumstance, with my worth. It's all coming outward 
It's all coming, looking to God. We we want this Godward humility. We want to come to God as a child, realize we're limited, and look to God for to meet our needs. Look to God to give you worth. Look to what God does and hope in that, not in what you're going to do tomorrow or today. And just to say the same thing again, I just want you to notice this first verse, manward humility, is all Godward. If we can have this, if we can come to God and realize I'm like a child, I'm limited, then it's natural to be humble man to man. If we can remember, here's me and here's my small bit of knowledge, my small bit of time and and things that God's given me to do, then I can be humble man to man. Because I remember, God's in control with all this stuff out here and not me. And that's okay. And I don't have to try and you know, manipulate you to do what I want you to do or to be what I want you to be. Because you're not, you're not in my sphere of control. I can pray for you. I can talk to you. But I can rest and have a calm and quiet soul because God is in control of you, of me, of everything, all the circumstances around us. And then the last thing I'm going to say to the Christians, and then let's do a short word to to the lost. I want to ask you a question. Are you calm and quiet in your soul? Are you restless and and not content, you're, you're wanting, you're grasping for more, for something. Could it be that there's a sense of pride or a, a lack of humil- Godward humility just to say, God, I want this thing, but ultimately you're in control and I trust you. Or God, this situation isn't the way I want it to be, and I've been trying to change it in my own strength over and over and over. And I'm just so restless. I'm just going to give it to you. You are in control. I'm going to trust you with it. We want, I mean, the benefit here is, is wonderful. Calm and quiet soul with God. Just resting in who he is. Resting, being okay with our limitations. Being okay there's things I can't do that you can do. Being okay with so many things because we can rest in God. I want that more for me and I want it for you too. So if you think this week, pray for me that. Pray God, would you give give all of us, would you help all of us to, to be like a weaned child with its mother and just rest in you. And then finally, just a word to the lost. You know, this most of this sermon has been towards Christians. But if you're lost here, this is really a good picture of the gospel. You are restless. You're trying to do all these things in your own strength. You're trying to find your worth in what you can do. You're trying to find rest. If I get this, if I, if I accomplish this, or if I get this new thing, or if I could just have this much money, or whatever it is you're, you're looking to, to get your worth, fulfillment, your rest, it's out It should be not internal, not in what you can do, what you can get. 
should be external, looking to a specific thing, to God. And we need to stop believing. If, we're, if you're lost, you need to stop believing that calm and quiet for your soul is found anywhere but God. It's not in an experience. It's not in circumstance. It's not in your self-achievement. You need to hear the word at the end of this psalm, hope in God. You're casting your hopes on all these things, and they're never going to calm your soul, quiet your soul. You're never going to find rest for long. You may find it for a moment, and then it's going to be fleeting, and it's going to be gone. You need, if you're lost, to realize you are like a child that needs to run to its parent. That you have sin that you can't deal with. You need to come to God if you're lost and say, I've been trying to deal with my sin on my own. I've been trying to hide it. I've been trying to change it. I've been trying to cover it up. I've been trying to excuse it. I've been trying to quiet my conscience so I don't feel bad anymore. And you need to come to God and say, God, this is too great for me. This is too difficult for me. I need you to deal with my sin. Would you wash it? Would you forgive me through your blood? And lean on God instead of trying to clean yourself. Hope in the Lord for forgiveness. Hope in the Lord to change you from the inside out, to forgive you, to free you. And you will find rest for your soul in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this little psalm. And would you give us humility towards you, Lord? Would you make us humble? We, want, we don't want to be occupying ourselves with things that are too great or too difficult for us, Lord. Would you point those out in our hearts? We just want to give them to you. We want to come to you more, God, like a child with its mother. Would you help us to just rest in you this week? think even about all the difficult things going on in the world we just want to rest in you you know you care for us and we couldn't change it even if we tried and so we just hand it to you god and we trust you i just pray lord you forgive us if there's anything man to man in our heart that's not right and i pray you'd fill us with a sense that you're there you're with us and um just that that would be helpful in our unity, Lord. And we just look to you and we thank you, God, that you put this psalm in the Bible and we thank you that we have time to get together today and talk talk about it. And we do ask, Lord, for forgiveness for all the times we get frustrated when we reach our limitations. And we just say thank you, just like, Sean was saying, thank you, God, that you have made us limited and you've put things in our life that are difficult and that are beyond us so that we can remember you're in control. Pray for this fellowship time after this and just time to talk and pray that we'd really love one another and just hand this to you, God. Amen.